Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. If you have your Bible, we're in Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 12, and uh, if you've been here for some weeks, you know we're skipping to the end, and so this was never meant to be just uh, going through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, but this is a, a survey, an overview. Uh, we'll be going through a sermon series the next couple of weeks, really uh, explaining our discipleship groups uh, and just the heart of God for the church, but committed to Christ and committed to one another. Uh, and they'll be jumping into Ephesians for the fall. So that kind of helps you understand where we're going. But Ecclesiastes 9 uh, through 12, I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says this, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are, uh, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man." For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's, that's the word of God. And so if you've been here, this has been a, a, a this is wisdom literature uh, given from God to us through Solomon. So these are the final words that, that the Solomon is penning. And so I always like to, to know how things end because I feel like as I'm closing out, uh, talking with my wife, my kids, or as they're about to play in a sporting event, I always give them like, these are the words I want you to remember before you kind of walk out onto the field. And so this is how I read this. is It's like Solomon is choosing these words strategically to shepherd your heart, your mind, your lives. And this is what he chooses to shepherd you in uh, at the very end. Verse 9, um, there's this idea, really 9 through uh, 12, that, that the value of this right here, the word of God, um, here at the Door Church, you'll see me bring out the Word of God every time I preach. Pastor Brad will bring out the Word of God, and we will read what we just did, because you do not want to hear the words of a man. You want to hear the words of God. Um, I actually visited a church uh, on sabbatical. I wasn't allowed to come here. My kids did not understand that. But just to, to, to go experience and hear, there was a time where I was at a church, where the man walked out and he did not bring the word of God. He did not have his sword with him. You know what I did? I walked out. I don't really care what that man has to say because he's not going to speak from uh, the word of God. And so this is the value set that, that Psalm is bringing at the very end. We must treasure the very words of God. We must take it seriously. We must submit to it. And it says this, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to, uh, sought to find words. So he sought to find, find words of delight and uprightly he wrote uh, the words of truth. So what I have written down here is this, this preacher, Solomon, is trying to bring the very words of God to bear to a group of people. And his main goal was words of delight 
and to speak uprightly. And so as you're listening to anyone ever preaching, these are shepherding your mind, your heart, to breed discernment. They should have delightful words. And hear this, the word delightful is this idea that we want to be clear. Like you can't delight in something that you don't understand. Like the first thing I ask my wife usually, because I, you know, I, I'm a man, I'm insecure. The first thing I asked her when I get done preaching, was it clear? Because that is the most important thing as you walk out is what was said clear? Did you understand it? Did it make sense? Because the word of God is not complicated. Now, people like to complicate the word of God, and we'll get into why that is here in a second. But the word of God is actually super simple and super clear. And my job, my number one job is to speak on behalf of God, delightful uh, and clear words. And that's that upright. That's that upright. We speak the truth of God. Um, so when we come, we bring the very words of God because the word of God is upright, which points ultimately to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is always upright and true. So as you evaluate preaching uh, the word of God, a church, Nehemiah 8.8 is actually very helpful. It says they read from the book. So this is the, the Old Testament, the law. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. So that's there you go, right? It needs to be clear, right? The word of God. And they, gave, and, and, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. Main job is clarity and to make sense of what is being said. It's, it's that, that's how you evaluate preaching. Is it clear? Is it understandable? Is it true? Is it coming from the word of God? So he's showing you the value, not, not of the preacher. That's not the, Psalm is saying, hey, you should really listen to me because I'm a very excellent preacher. He's showing the value, the worth of the word of God of God. Then verse 11, uh, it says this, the words of the wise are like goads uh, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So in verse nine, uh, nine uh, or 10 and 11, it says like goads. And so the word of God, when you hear the word of God, should be clear and understandable. They're like goads. And if you don't know what goads is, like a cattle prod. So in, in the illustration, we're an animal, and there's a, there's a prod, a sharp stick guiding us in a certain direction by a shepherd. That's who use these goads. And so this, this is important because the word of God gives what? Direction for you and my life. We, so we don't know where to go apart from what? the word of God. So these goes are keeping us in line, staying on track of the way uh, of truth. So in a world of confusion right now, which there is, there's like an echo chamber of like people saying anything and everything and nothing is like sourced right. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, so lots of interesting research. It, it can be very confusing to make any decision. The word of God says it doesn't have to be that way. You can go to the word of God and there's a direction to your life. You can have confidence in the source that this is coming from God to say, here's how you should proceed. Here's how uh, you should live your life. I just wrote down, uh, there's pressure points in society right now. And I'm not arguing a, a, a way to see it besides coming under the word of truth. Some pressure points in society is there's a sexual revolution going on in society, talking about gender roles, marriage, and, and all different things. Now, we don't have to wonder if we're out of date, because this is the eternal word of God. 
So we're going to come to the Word of God and say, here's what the Word of God says about men. Here's what the Word of God says about women. Here's what the Word of God says about marriage. So there's actually no confusion for us. Like, there's not like, well, they're saying this. Well, what does God say? And we're measuring society's words against what? The Word of God. So we don't have to be confused. Again, there's um, lots of political tension. There's COVID tension we can look at the word of God and say, here's how I should proceed. It it does apply. There's racial tension right now uh, in our country. We don't have to wonder how we treat other image bearers of God. And that's not siding with the world. I don't really care what the world says. I can go to the word of God says, this is how we should proceed. There's direction as these goads lead us to the way that we should live. Now, there is a human part to this to live this out. So what does that mean? In the illustration, what are you? The animal. So are animals asking the shepherd, are we going this way? No, that's not the role there. They're being prodded along. So there's a humility to being under the word of God. Actually, that's where humility comes from. The root word is human. To be human is to be under God. Now, you're going to have a really hard time in life finding your direction if you want to be the shepherd. If you want to want to be the one leading, but that's not your place. So it's a humbling position to understand that you need God's word to direct you. You're not the director. You're not the shepherd. And so um, to have God shepherd you, you got to willingly submit to the word of God. And it's a humble place. You are not God. That is not your place. You're a human under God. And we should live that way. Then it goes on to say these are nails that are firmly fixed. What is it saying? We live in a temporal world and we're ever changing. Uh, these, the, the nails that are firmly fixed means the word of God doesn't move. It, it, it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Not, not iota is going to change. It will be fulfilled. So in a very temporal world, we have e- e- uh, eternal perspective right here. And so uh, I heard a quote one time, I think it's fantastic. Whatever's not eternal, it will be eternally out of date. Like whatever's not coming from here will one day be wrong. I don't care what the consensus is right now. We don't judge on consensus. We judge according to the word of God. There's a lot of fear mongering going on right now about some of these issues I just talked about. It's like, do you want to be on the wrong side of history? And who's ever been like, oh, I want to be on that side. I want to be on the losing side where everyone judges you, right? No one. That's a fear-based idea to get you to go along with what they're saying. So we don't have to wonder if we're going to be on the wrong side of history. Why? Because we have the history maker. He's the one in charge. He's the one speaking. So we come under his word, and we don't have to worry if culture judges us because we know how things end. And so this is the beauty of the word of God. Then verse 12 uh, is, 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 is beautiful. It says, my, my son, beware, right? So we need to beware. This stand alert. Be aware of anything beyond these or making many books. There is no end. Much study is weariness uh, of, of the flesh. Any, so we talked at staff always about, about this. And so you get, you know, Brad's thoughts, Steve's thoughts, Megan's thoughts, all these people on staff. It's really a great, it's a really beautiful time to hear how God speaks to people and helps, you know, us preach. One of the things that was said and is right on is anytime, I'm doing it right now, anytime someone opens their mouth, you know what they're doing? They're influencing you towards something. And you need to know that. Like anytime you open your mouth, 
You're either moving someone more towards Christ or away from. There's never a neutral moment. And so we need to have this listening ear, a discerning mind. Why are they saying the things they're saying to me? Does this line up with the word of God? And it says, there are many books, there will be no end. Now, someone who's worth trusting is someone that speaks a lot of scripture and has humility and doesn't speak extra things because here, here's the deal. And we'll get into Solomon here in a second. There is no guru. Like I don't have anything special. I, I, and like when I say nothing, I have nothing special about me besides the word of God. Brad, I love listening to Brad because he says things very wisely and, and, and our, you know, he's very poetic. He's got poetic compassion, right? And I'm always like, man, that sounds good. He has nothing extra wise besides the word of God. It's hidden in his heart. And so that's how you evaluate people. One, they're going to point a lot to the word of God, and there's a humility about how they approach it. Now, if anyone starts taking to lots of other curriculums, I'd just be leery because they're influencing you away from, man, the true word. Okay, I'm not saying all books are bad, but, man, if you need books to learn about God, need books to learn about things, I just question. That's not the primary source, and that even gets into verse 11. He says there's one, there's one shepherd. <laughs> over and over, you're going to hear at the Door Church, through our preaching team, Jesus Christ is the king. We're under shepherds of Jesus, one shepherd. See, Solomon is in a great position. He's writing books. He's the king. Lots of people listen to him, very wise. And what does he say at the very end? Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people. He said, he's known for this. But he's saying, do you want to know where my wisdom come from? Or where, where, where it comes from? It comes from one who is the shepherd. He's telling you his source of wisdom. He doesn't try to like hide it. He's like, you know what? They think I'm awesome. They just got to continue to come hear me. He's like, no, you want to know the source. It comes from one shepherd. Go seek the shepherd through what? The very word of God. That's that humility part that I'm talking about. Anyone that truly understands the word, they will want to become less. Why? Because Jesus is sufficient. The word of God is eternal. Like we're mailmen, easily removed. The word of God is everything. And he, he says this, as he says, there's one shepherd. And not only is there one source of wisdom, but the word of God, if you come here long enough, we'll even get there this morning, always points you to Jesus. Not sometimes points you to Jesus. It always points you to Jesus. So the word of God points you what? To the eternal word of God, which is what? Jesus. This is the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is not crazy talk. So the word of God always points to Jesus. If you're going to grow under the one shepherd, we got to grow in the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called what? Good news people. I don't know if you know that if you're a Christian, that's what you are. You live really out from the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we, we come from forgiveness. We come from victory in Christ. So the way that we live our, our life now is under, under the word of God, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's called gospeling yourself. We want a gospeling culture. We want you to appropriate Jesus in every area of your life. That's the goal here. Like, so as we look at the word of God, as we behold Jesus, you know what you're going to see? Ge the generosity of God on display. And as you see the generosity of God on display in his son, Jesus Christ, you know what happens to you? You become generous. As you look at the loving God and the loving son who gave up his life for us, you know what you become? You become a very loving person. As you look at the patience of God, and long-suffering of God in Jesus Christ. You know what happens? You become a more patient 
coworker, boss, parent. As you look at the beauty of Jesus, you actually become it. That's why we behold it. We'll become merciful, become wise, you'll become more forgiving. You know why you're not a forgiving person? Because you don't understand the gospel. If you understand how much you've been forgiven in Jesus, you know what happens? You become a forgiving person. So this is a gospel issue as we go to what? One shepherd. As we become, as we behold Jesus Christ more and more through the word of God, you actually become more like Jesus. This is the whole first part of 9 through 12, is that we want to see the word of God rightly and keep coming to it. I've written down here, I just want to get to it. We want to become people that walk in the wisdom, in the person of Jesus Christ, that we want to be like, we want to be Jesus people. And so we, we actually start to put on the mind of Christ uh, the more that we, we humbly submit to the word of God. Uh, BJ Rector is over our groups, and I was asking about a couple. I say, hey, how's that couple doing? And, you know, he said this to me. He said, I was talking to the wife, and it was interesting. The wife said, you know what? Most days he's doing pretty good. It's much better when he's in the word of God. And I was like, oh, that makes sense, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that. As you get into the word of God, you actually can ooze uh, the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm not walking in the word of God. I'm not staying in step with the gospel because I'm in the word of God. I'm thinking clearly. Well, I know there's truth. I'm not confused. I know there's eternal purposes for me. I know the direction I should be going. And then I'm also knowing my place in humility. I'm not in charge. All those come from what? Just putting on the word of God each day. And that's what we should do. We should be walking in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Not sometimes but all the time. When we come here, we need to hear the marching orders of Christ, surrender together, sing the songs of Christ, but you need that daily. You know, it talks about in Scripture, we don't just eat bread alone, but we feast on every word of God. You need to appropriate, digest it, live it out. Some of you aren't living daily for Christ because you're not ingesting Christ that's coming under one shepherd through um, the word of God. Verse 13, uh, it says... This. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. I like, I like Solomon again, and he's giving us, you know, just, I feel like meat and potatoes, like the marching orders before you go into um, the battle, which is life. But he keeps it simple. He says, the, the end of the matter. So, what does all this mean? We've gone through preaching, the sermon. What, like, what am I saying? It says, all, all has been heard. Fear God. That's number one. That's it. We're supposed to fear God and keep his commands. Why? This is your purpose. This is the whole duty of man is what? Fear God, keep his commands. Super simple, right? This is, this is easy takeaways. So this idea of fear God and keep his commands is what Ecclesiastes is about. And, and as Brad has preached and other people have preached, we, we keep his commands of work. So we, we line work up under the fearing of God. We line up our uh, eating and drinking under the word of God. We line up our lives under the word of God. Fear God. Fear God is the idea of trust, awe, and revere. And then we keep his commands. So this is what the book of the Bible is about. That's what the entire Bible is about. And this is what your life is about. If this is not your life purpose, you're missing your point of life. The chief chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So that's fearing God and then keeping his commands. So the way that you fear God, not that you're scared of God, although, you know, he, he, he is holy. Uh, but this fear is this awestruck goodness. You stand in, in just reverence and trust of God. This is our, our disposition. The only way that you really trust and revere and, and 
and treasure God is understanding who Jesus is. My favorite verse about speaking to the heart of trust and revering and the beauty of Christ is Romans 5.8. It says this, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're going to fear God, it has to come through the lens of Jesus Christ. It has to. So this idea of Romans 5.8 is that God loved you, who's you, that's all of us, when the timing of it matters so much. When did God love you? while you were still sinners. So this is a part of fearing God, is understanding the forgiveness of God that's brought to you in Christ. So most of us think Christianity is, I do some good things, I do some bad things, but the good news, and kind of this neutral aspect, I get God's love. And you've greatly have mistaken the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, while you were still sinners, you and I deserve the opposite of the grace of God, the love of God. We deserve the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But what did we get? We got grace. We got forgiveness. Grace is the ill-deserved love of God, and that's shown for us in Jesus Christ. So he doesn't love you when you're nailing it or when you have a good day or when you read your Bible better that day. He loves you when you're at your worst. And if you get that, You'll start to trust God. You'll start to love him in all areas of life. So I, I read this, and I thought it was a good, a good thought. It was certainly an accurate thought. Is at the cross, God just didn't do a gracious thing, although it was gracious. It showed his very character and nature that he is gracious. Like this was his plan since the beginning of time. So he's actually showing you more than an act of grace. He's showing you his character is grace. His character is good. So the point is, if you can see the beauty of Christ in this act, you trace it to what? His character. This is who God is, not something just that he did for you. If you see this as the very character God displayed is what it says, you start to see that God is not just loving at the cross, but he's loving in every aspect of your life. Not, he's not just good at the cross, but he's actually good in every moment of your life. He's not just kind, he's not a protector, he's not a provider at some points, but all points, how do we know that? Because the very character of God is on display at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, when you start to trust and fear him and see him rightly through the spirit of God and the lens of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? You start to obey him. So what I didn't just say is if you obey, God will love you. No, if you start to treasure Christ and see what he's done for you, then you'll start to obey him. That is keeping all of his commandments because he's always always looking out for you. I read in scripture just this week, you know, I'm an earthly father who tries to do good things for my kids. That's an aim of mine. I'm always trying to do it. I don't do it perfectly. It says God's way better than you. So he's able and is always doing great things for his kids. And if you believe that, you know what you start to do? You start to surrender and you start to obey. Why? Because he's only doing good towards you. Another way that I've heard it said is this, is when you can't trace God's hand and sometimes your life, like, I don't believe that he is good. You're going to have to trust his heart, his character. He's working all things together for good for those who love him. And that comes from fearing him. You can't always see what he's doing. We got to trust he knows what he's doing and he does. Something that's just simply written about a psalmist writing this is true. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite, but it, it, this is how we should approach this idea. Fear God and obey his commands is we subjectively sit under this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. So why would a psalmist say, search me, O God, and know my heart? There's elements of this person's life 
that what? They're probably not fearing God. And they're saying, I want you to search my heart and reveal to me where I'm not. So here, here's the big idea. There are areas of your life that you're not fearing God and obeying his commands. It's like, it's not a question. The question, are you subjectively saying, God, search my heart and even my intentions where I, I think I'm doing right, but I need your spirit and the word of God to actually help me see if I am. To see this humility here. And this says, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Now, see, this is, you're actually starting to see the heart of someone that loves the Lord. God, I want you to measure my heart. I want you to measure my thoughts. I want to know if there's anything in my life that is grieving you. Why? Because I know you're loving. I know you're good. I know, you know you have a plan for me. I mean, what a sweet thing. The best way I have to look at it is, you know, I have several thoughts. But one, if I love my wife, I want to honor my wife. I want to glorify my wife. I, I want to know, honey, is there any way that I am dishonoring you? And I'm not showing faithfulness to you. Is there any way that I'm not showing the beauty and treasure that you are to me in my life? Right? If, you, if there is, show me those ways. Because I want to honor you and glorify you. And the treasure, the same way we want to do that with God and even more so. Show us any way that we may be breaking your heart, not showing you rightly to the world. And, it, and then here, here's, here's why. And lead me into the everlasting way. Again, that's that direction. Not only do we want to glorify him, we know where he's taken us. Because if I have any way that in me that doesn't line up with the word of God, not only is it grieving God, but it's also to my own peril, my own destruction. Because he has what? The direction I need to be walking in. So I should submit to him in my thoughts and in my ways and say, search me, O God. So this is how you put it all in that practical use. So our whole duty is to fear God, to treasure him, to love him, to trust him to keep his commands because we know that he has a plan and design for a life for flourishing. Now, me and Solomon, uh, I love him. I love the last words. I feel like this is how I would, I would want to end it. Uh, he says, verse 14, uh, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God, God will judge you and everyone. So th this is important for us to live out Christ Christianity. Judgment day is coming. This is not ethereal. This is not supposed to be a scare attack. It's reality. Not only the judgment of the world is coming, but your judgment is coming and justice is coming. We, we long for judgment. Why? Because we long for justice. I used to have uh, in college a, a, a poster as I woke up every day. It was Tombstone, and there's these guys walking in, and it, it, said, it read, justice is coming. We long for justice. You know what justice is? It's everything to be made right. We want that. We want a world of peace. We want a world of, world of order. We want things that are just. Amen? Everyone wants justice. The issue is, so God is not okay with a broken world. He's not. He's not okay with an unjust world. He's not okay with people who are oppressed. He's not okay. Not, this is where it gets sketch. He's not okay with you or me. Not okay with it. Justice is coming for you and me. So everyone likes the out there justice, peace, rain, goodness, but you and I deserve justice. It talks about in Romans 3, we're not going to get all of it. We'll get there in a second. But it says that God and his loving kindness in Christ, man, there's a forbearance over sin. So a lot of you are in sin. I'm in sin. We don't take it seriously. Like, well, God must be okay with it. He's not okay with your sin ever. He's never been okay with sin, right? It's in his loving kindness 
That he wants you to know that judgment is coming, and the cross shows that he is not okay with sin, oppression, or evil in the world. Not okay with the iota of it. Now, the question is, the word of God holds a scrutiny to you and me that we cannot stand under. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I like when people, other, when people talk about other people, how they're better than them. Like, that's so not true. <laughs> like, if we just followed you around, I was going to say a week, a day, a couple hours, like you'd be under the same microscope that you're putting on someone else. You're just, you don't have the courage of the spirit of God to see yourself rightly. But the word of God slays us. The Solomon's point here is who can stand under this scrutiny? Every thought, every deed, every motive will be laid bare. There's no justification there. Why in the world does Solomon in this way? Because he wants you to stand condemned. Why? So you can stand in the grace that Jesus Christ gives. That's why we do no perfect people all the time. We want you to feel the condemnation. Why? So you can taste the gift of grace that comes in Jesus Christ. Not only does Solomon do this, but Paul does. I'm going to read it briefly. The whole word of God does it, if you read it rightly. It says this in Romans 3, verse 9. What then, are we Jews any better off? So this is kind of a conversation about Jews and Gentiles. So that include everyone here, right? Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles means simply not Jew. So if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. No, not all, for we have we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as is written. So we're all under the sin. Now, now what Paul does is just really bring the weight of the ugliness of sin that's not out there. Yes, it's out there, but in you, none is righteous, not one. So how many are righteous? Not one. No one understands. Like, I don't really fully understand the degree of my own wicked heart. No one understands. No one is seeking after God, it says. So how many is that? You're not the oddball. Like you're out there seeking God and you're the only one. You're not seeking God. All have turned aside together uh, and they have become worthless. We do it in different ways, but we've all turned and done our own thing. No one does good. And somebody, oh, I do good. Well, the question is, why do you do good? Uh, for your own glory, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Uh, they use their tongue to deceive. Their venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace uh, they have not known. There is no, listen, no fear of God before their eyes. Now we, now we know that we're, uh, whatever the law says, it speaks, so that's the word of God, the law, speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. All right, so I think that's so good. The reason why Paul is saying these things, well, the reason why Solomon is saying these things, so you would stop in your tracks and shut your mouth and listen, that I would do the same. There is no justification of self. There's no, but hey, I was, this is what I was thinking. It's just like, there's a humbling that comes. We see the glory and the holiness of God in who you are. You should be stopped in your tracks. I often tell, do this with my kids. They'll, I say, I don't care what they did. Look what you're doing. There's no justification. But we are just like our kids. We want to say, here's why. We should be stopped in our tracks. He's saying that we should shut our mouths and the whole world may be held accountable for God. You will be held accountable to God. 
I will be held to accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since uh, through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Listen, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the good news and are justified by grace, by the grace that Jesus provides as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We all stand condemned. The question is, are we going to try to justify and rationalize, play ostrich? That means put your head in the ground, not acknowledge it. Are you going to acknowledge your sin, confess it, and receive the justification that comes through Jesus Christ alone by faith alone? There's two options. Denial, which you'll see how that goes, or you receive grace by faith. It says those are the two options in 1 John 1.10. Some of you are very convicted and feel heavy, but nothing I said is not true, and the words of God are true, and I guarantee the Spirit of God is convicting you. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God just spoke, and he is true. If you say it's not true, you're calling God the liar. God's not a liar. He speaks truth. So who would be the liar? You would be the liar. You can deny the truth, but the truth is what it is. The other response is 1 John 1, 9, which is this. If we confess our sins... This is what so many, as he humbles us, he brings us to the highest of heights. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We just confess. He's there to comfort, to forgive, to cleanse, to bring righteousness, to change us from the inside out. See, in the world, and I'll close this way, is if you confess, there's a sentencing of death, sentencing of consequence. That's how the court works. Only... In the court of God, you confess, and Jesus takes your sentence of death to give you the sentence of eternal life. But you got to see who Jesus is rightly to truly confess your sins, to grab on to life by faith. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us respond to the word of God, help us respond to Jesus, help us respond to Psalm, and help us respond to Paul. All points to our need and our humbling has to come from your word. Pray the Spirit of God would help us confess this morning areas that we fall short, not that we stand in condemnation, but we'd receive and enjoy the grace that's in Jesus Christ. And as we taste the forgiveness, the love, the kindness, the mercy of Jesus, we become more like Jesus. That we'd stand more fear in a loving, kind God. And we want to obey, not because we have to, because we get to. Because we are tasting and seeing the goodness of Jesus Christ. But we gotta confess that God, you are good. When there's nothing good in me, you are good. And that's enough in your son for me. I pray that we would taste and see that more this morning. I ask that in his name. Amen.